Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Jude. This little book that has 25 verses at the very end of your Bibles is packed with truth. Jude was one of Jesus' flesh and blood brothers. He wrote this letter in the first century to a specific church that had a very specific problem. It's a problem that we have today in the 21st century church. Here's the problem. There were certain people who were opponents of God, who were challenging the faith that God delivered to us once and for all in Christ, and they had snuck into the church unnoticed. They had crept into the church unnoticed. And Jude, actually God through Jude, is telling us to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to us. And today's message is about the enemies of that faith. It's about the challenge to that faith. As a matter of fact, the title of the message is The Challenge to Our Faith. The text is Jude chapter 1, verses 4 to 16. Please turn there. Jude chapter 1, verses 4 to 16. Our faith is our most precious possession. It is more precious than gold. And God's opponents, according to this text, they creep in to challenge our faith. They hold it captive to false teaching and false living that render it unfruitful. In this next slide, I want to introduce you to something called Extreme Capture the Flag paintball version. I don't know if you've ever heard of this game, Capture the Flag. It's a tradition outdoor game where two teams have a flag, and the objective is to capture the other team's flag located at the team's base and bring it safely back to their own base. And enemy players can be tagged by players in their home territory, and these players are then, depending on the agreed-to rules, out of the game. Members of the opposite team, they're sent back to their own territory, frozen in place until freed by a member of their own team. And so today's message is, if you think of capture the flag, extreme paintball capture the flag, the way you free someone is you tag them with the paintball. And as soon as they're tagged, they're frozen. And if you freeze enough people on the other team, you can run up and grab their flag, and the flag is faith. And so for many of us, because of the challenges to our faith, either externally or internally, we can be frozen. If you would have seen the pictures that I have up there, there's a picture of a guy that's on his knees with his hands up. <laughs> and, and the flag is being captured. And, and I believe the message today is this. There are those who would challenge the faith, and God wants us to rise up and contend for the faith so that we would not surrender, but rather we would be able to stand and contend for that faith. I pray that God would unfreeze us if we are frozen. And I pray that he would do that by showing us the challenges, the challengers, and giving us hope and faith that he is bigger than that. So let's read our text. Jude chapter 1, verses 4 to 16. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. 
And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day of judgment. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea. Casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. According to verse 4, the challengers of the faith are, quote, certain people who have crept in unnoticed to challenge our faith. Referencing this capture of the flag metaphor, they are going to capture, they want to capture the flag of our faith and render it, by and large, unfruitful. God takes this challenge very seriously, and so should we. Look at the beginning and the ending of our passage, and you will see how seriously God takes these challengers to the faith and their challenge. Look at verse 5. It says here that he will destroy those who are unbelieving. Look at verse 6. It says that these angels who do not stay within their position of authority are kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Going down to verse 15, it says that the ungodly are preserved so God can execute judgment upon them. God judges those who challenge the faith and tempt others to doubt. This judgment of the challengers kind of forms bookends to our text, indicating God's attitude toward those who would challenge biblical faith and tempt the faithful to doubt. These challengers and their ideas and their thoughts and their false lifestyles are the reason God calls us to contend for the faith. And he calls us to do so remembering his judgment of them And their ultimate failure. In fact, the main point of this text is the following. Contend for the faith, remembering God's judgment of the challengers 
and their ultimate failure. Contend for the faith, remembering God's judgment of the challengers and their ultimate failure. It is the presence of these certain people in verse 4 who have crept in unnoticed that provides the context for our contending. I find that the challenge to my faith can come from people who creep into the church, but they can also come from the beliefs and thoughts that those people hold that creep into my mind, into my heart, into my lifestyle. To that end, we will approach this text in two parts. The first part, we're going to identify the challengers to the faith who creep into our churches and creep into our heads. And as we do this, let us be ready to contend for the faith in our churches, in our homes, and in our hearts. And then second, we're going to consider the end of those who challenge God and the faith he delivered to us. God's final verdict against the challengers gives us hope and courage and strength when we become weary and are tempted to simply give in to the challenge and raise our hand and say, you know what? We surrender. So point one. The challengers and their challenge. The challengers and their challenge. At the end of verse 4, if you will look at it there with me, Jude gives us a quick overview of these challengers who have crept in unnoticed. As we read about them, what we see here is that these men basically are designated by three things. They're ungodly. They turn the grace of God or pervert the grace of God into sensuality. And they deny Christ and his power and his rule over our lives. And one thing I want you to be aware of and I want to be aware of is as I read about this, yes, we want to be aware of people that would sneak into our church to do that. But you know what? At Palm Vista, I'm not aware of a lot of people like that. Thank God. But I think we need to be even more aware of thought patterns and lifestyles that can creep into my mind, into my heart, and thereby get into our church. And that perhaps might even be the greatest danger. So in the first century, the danger was from without. These false itinerant teachers and prophets, they would roam the the first century world and they would teach these wrong things. But perhaps today, it's the thoughts, it's the ideas, it's the values represented by these men. These challengers are are, are described as ungodly men. They pervert the grace of God and his sensuality, and they deny Christ and his rule over our lives. And and if you'll see in verse 5, Jude is going to give them a history lesson. Basically, what he's going to say is, these people who creep into the church and, and contend against the faith and challenge the faith and are trying to lead you to doubt to make your faith un, unfruitful, these, these men, these people, were prophesied about in the Old Testament, and, and Jude's going to give us a history lesson. He's going to give us six pictures of people in the Old Testament that, that prefigure the sin and, and, and what these, these challengers to our faith bring in their challenge, but also they're going to they're gonna picture God's judgment. So if you can think in the, in the sermon, the first part is describing the challengers, describing their challenge, and understanding that that may be in my head so that I can combat, I can contend for the faith in my heart, in my head, in my church, in my home. But then the second part, which is equally important, is that Jude, God through Jude, wants to say, and I'm going to judge them ultimately. Ultimately, I will bring into account every one of these people. 
So even though it looks like they're winning, even though it looks like everybody's believing a certain way, even though it looks like, hey, what's going on, God? I'm the only one here that, that's, that's walking along this line. No, ultimately, I will judge them. And that will give you great comfort. And so these six Old Testament pictures can be difficult for us as Gentiles in the 21st century. Now to Jude and to his, his Jewish audience, they weren't difficult at all. But take a look at them. In verse 5, he's going to pull out unbelieving Israel. In verse 6, he's going to pull out, you ready for this? Angels who did not stay within their position of authority. He's, he's pulling out angels who did not stay in their position of authority. What does that mean? In verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, we're, we understand Sodom and Gomorrah, right? After all, we live in Miami. And then jump down to verse 11. He talks about Cain. He talks about Balaam, and he talks about Korah. Why is he doing that? Because what he wants to do is he, he wants to try to help us understand the challengers and their wrong doctrines and ideas and lifestyles, and he's going to use these six Old Testament figures to help us understand that. But he also, in point two of the sermon, wants us to understand that even though it looks like they're getting away with something, and like everybody's going after that way of thinking, he's saying, no, 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 no. God will bring them into account. First century false teachers... 21st century false teachers and teachings and lifestyles, he'll bring them into account just like he did all six of these people. God judged unbelieving Israel. God judged these angels who did not keep and stay within their own position of authority. God judged, we all know God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. God judged Cain. God judged Balaam. God judged Kor. Now let me just say this to you. If you're saying to me, Big Al, for, that's maybe the first time I've ever heard the name Balaam. Great. Praise God. This is part of your discipleship. So this afternoon, go home. Write this down. Ready? I want you to read Numbers 22. Numbers is in the first part of the Bible. Numbers 31. And I want you to read about Balaam. Because God's giving you a history lesson using Balaam. So it's good to learn about Balaam. How about Cain, Al? Where do I find out about Cain? Go to Genesis 4. How about Korah? Who is Korah? I know Cori, but who's Korah? Don't confuse them. Korah is listed in Numbers 16, and then at the end, Numbers 31 to 35. How about these angels who, who did not stay within their own position of authority? Oh, that's in Genesis 6, 1 to 4. Good luck with understanding that one. No, just kidding. Um... That one's a little complicated. <laughs> but what you're going to see is the main point is they did not stay within their position of authority. That is to say, God said, this is your position. This is your realm. And they chose to leave their realm and go to a realm God said is not yours. And God judged them for it. And of course, Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 6. And unbelieving Israel, the Exodus. So what's the point here? These examples are going to help us understand these challengers and their challenge and to understand that God will deal with them in his timing. So here we go. The challengers and their challenge, they are ungodly. They are ungodly. What does that mean? That means that they live as if God does not exist. The illustration of unbelieving Israel points exactly to that. It says in verse 5 of Jude, this is amazing. That Jesus, 
who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Jesus was at the Exodus? I thought he didn't come till Matthew. Now he was at the Exodus. Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt. But then look what he does. Afterward destroyed those who did not believe. I know that's difficult to hear, but this warning for God's elect, for God's people is actually a means of grace. It speaks to my heart when I'm tempted to to do the same thing that unbelieving Israel did. God saved me out of Egypt, but then by the time I get into the desert and, and, and and I'm in the Numbers 14, I am shaking my fist at God and said, we have no water to drink in this desert. Did you bring us here to kill us? So my unbelieving heart says, Yeah, you saved me, but you can't bring me into the promised land. And actually, it's a means of grace for Christians, for believers. That's exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11 says the following, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So Paul is referencing the exodus. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell on a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Paul is using Old Testament Hebrew history, 1500 BC, to speak to the first century church in Corinth so that because God has given us that redemptive history to teach us. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So this warning is for us. It's so important because we can be tempted as they were tempted The challengers actually challenge the doctrine of the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. The challengers said, live any way you want to live because Jesus isn't really going to return. Christ, friends, has won the glory that we lost in the garden. Christ promises us that glory. And no matter what your suffering is today, Jesus promises to restore it to you. But there's a whole world of challengers that would say, no, not really. Just live for today. Don't let them take the flag of faith. Fly it high over your heart and home and this church and defend it with all that you had. Second, they perverted the grace of God into sensuality. You see that? Verse four, they were ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. What does that mean? They promote a lifestyle of living for one's own desires. Here in our text, primarily greed and sexual immorality. Those are the Old Testament examples that he uses. And the challengers perverted God's grace into license to live immoral lives. So basically what they said is, listen, you, you're saved by grace, which means that you could do nothing to save yourself. It's all based on what Christ has done. That's true. Therefore, it doesn't matter what you do. Live any way you want. 
any way you want. Sexual immorality, go for it. Follow your pleasures, just enjoy. It's all by grace. And they perverted the grace of God into sensuality. Look at verse 8. Jude describes them as those defiled in the flesh. Verse 10, he describes them as unreasoning animals for their basic instincts of pleasure and greed and lust. Verse 16, they followed their own sinful desires. Basically, the Old Testament examples here obviously are Sodom and Gomorrah. But as well, Balaam. Balaam was a prophet who basically did a, a... a bri- he gave into a bribe. The wicked king said, hey, prophesy against God's people and we'll pay you. And he said, okay. And God wouldn't let him do it. And so he's kind of well known for that. A donkey spoke to him and said, what are you doing? You can't curse the people I bless, says the Lord. But you know what else Balaam did? And this is another for you to study, Numbers 31. Balaam falsely prophesied to God's people and say, you can intermarry with the unbelieving Midianites. And he encouraged God's people to sexual immorality. And what happened to Balaam was that he was killed when Israel conquered Midian. Numbers 31.8. So he's a, it's this picture of sexual immorality. Of course, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's this picture of just living for myself. Friends, we're going to be tempted and the challenges to the faith are going to come in and tempt us to, to give in on this point, to, to sexual impurity, particularly living in South Florida. Let us guard the flag of sexual purity in our churches, in our homes, in our hearts. Dear friends, how do we do that? We're honest with the Lord. We say, oh Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I bring it all to you. I'm honest with you. What I desire, what I'm, what's creeping into my head. And then we, we, we read God's word. We pray. We get with friends. We're open and honest. We will not allow those extreme capture the flag paintballers to capture this flag of sexual purity. See, because God's grace never came as a license for me to sin, but rather God's grace has come as the power for me to say no to that sin. One of my favorite scriptures is Titus 2, 11 to 14. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says the following. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The very thing that the challengers denied was going to happen, the coming of Jesus, is the very thing that encourages me to battle by grace against these passions of the flesh because I know that he's coming, the glory is coming. I'm persevering in that. Verse 14, who gave himself, Jesus, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Listen, Christ is that grace of God. He is the grace of God. And he didn't come to enable us to sin. He came to train us to renounce sin and to live our lives under the lordship of Christ. And that's the third mark of these challengers of the faith. In verse 4, they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. If you look again at verses 8 to 10, what you will see is a conglomeration of these sort of arrogant men who think that they're above it all. They think that they can be the master of their own faith. They're denying Christ's lordship. Denying Christ's lordship. You see, 
God is encouraging us to contend for the faith by reminding us from the Old Testament redemptive history that God understands those people. God wants us to understand those people and that God will judge those people. I mean, when you look at verses 12 to 13 and verse 16, you see these challengers. Look at it there with me. They're described as hidden reefs in our love feast. Basically in our churches, a hidden reef causes a ship to be destroyed. They shipwreck the faith. They live for themselves rather than for others. They're like, they're like these waterless clouds. The cloud promises rain, but delivers none. They're like fruitless trees that produce nothing. They promise much, but produce nothing. They're like wandering stars that are destined for gloom and judgment. They're like waves that crash in the sea that are filled with chaos. And what God is saying is this, these people and their challenge has no future. Look at verse 15. God will execute judgment on all to convict all the ungodly for all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that godly sinners have spoken against him. What God is saying is these are the challenges ungodliness, lack of faith, sexual impurity. And and God says, I will judge that. Basically, he's saying, do not put stock in what I am going to judge. Those who speak against me will one day have to stand before me. I will hold them accountable. These imperious people who are above questioning, these arrogant people, that think they can even judge angels. God says, I will deal with them. They deserve to be dealt with. And that's point two. God judges the challengers. Their challenge will ultimately fail. God judges the challengers and their challenge will ultimately fail. Look at verse four. God's not surprised by these people. He's not surprised by the things that come into our minds. It says here, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. God knew that they would come. God prophesied them through his prophets. And God said, I will deal with them. I am going to judgment. Each one of these six Old Testament historical figures ends with judgment. Tom Reiner in his commentary on this text says the following. Jude encouraged his readers to persevere in the faith. By assuring them that the intruders, he calls them intruders, I would call them challengers, have ultimately, would ultimately fail and be judged by God. God will judge the challengers and their challenge will fail just as he judged unbelieving Israel, just as he judged the angels who violated the sphere that God gave them of authority, just as he judged Balaam and Cain and Korah and Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is intended to encourage us. So that we would stand firm in the faith. We would stand firm in the faith. God promises us a wonderful, wonderful future. God says to us, if you stand in my faith, if you contend for the faith by the power that I give you, I will empower you. I will give you that grace. Friends, let us not make peace nor surrender to what God condemns and judges but rather let us contend for the faith God has given us. Let's start by looking to Christ, who alone is our righteousness, 
and our glory and who promises to keep us through the struggle and the fight. He will judge the ungodly. He has given us righteousness as his people. The flag of faith is safe because ultimately Christ protects and keeps it and calls us to follow him into battle. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to contend for the faith. Lord, thank you that you call us to contend for the faith with the knowledge that we are your people. There's nothing we could ever do to earn that. Lord, you have given that to us by grace. Lord, that you would bless us with that knowledge right now. Lord, and and as as we stand to to sing to you 10,000 reasons to bless your name, Lord, for those that are suffering right now, perhaps under a withering attack from those who would challenge the faith. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's internally. Maybe it's doubts in their heart. Lord, I pray that you would give them the assurance that you're the one that contends for, you're the one that guards that flag of faith. Lord, and and as we sing, we would receive your assurance. For you're the one, Lord, who's given us the 10,000 reasons to sing so that we might bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's stand together and let's sing that. Bless the Lord, O my soul.